You're listening to a Tudor and Stuart Ireland conference podcast. The sixth annual Tudor and Stuart Ireland interdisciplinary conference took place at NUI Galway in August 2016. The conference was generously supported by an NUI Galway President's Award for Research Excellence to Professor Stephen Ellis, the Moore Institute at NUI Galway, the Discipline of History at NUI Galway, and the Society for Renaissance Studies. As in previous years, the majority of papers were recorded for podcasting by Real Smart Media, in association with UCD's History Hub. There are now more than 140 podcasts from previous Tudor and Stuart Ireland conferences freely available. To access this archive, go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts or visit tudorstuartireland.com. In this episode, as part of a special panel in honour of Professor Stephen Ellis, a paper by Kieran Hoare from NUI Galway. His paper was entitled From Assassinating to Sexton, The Making of an Early Modern Urban Patriciate Family. The panel was introduced by Dr. Alison Forrestal from NUI Galway. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back into session. And on behalf of the School of Humanities at NUIG, and particularly the Discipline of History, um, I want to thank the organisers of this year's conference for a really splendid event. It's been absolutely fantastic. And in particular, I'd like to thank them for organising this panel in honour of one of the most distinguished academics that the university has produced over the last few decades. He will be, be, be shy about me saying that, but it's no doubt. Um, Stephen Ellis uh, has come... Uh, Long route, I suppose, in the 70s and uh, uh, to Galway from uh, Manchester University to Queen's University Belfast and then to NUIG. Um, and of course, uh, en route to this, he has uh, become the established chair with position which he's held for till his retirement for almost a decade here. Uh, he was also, uh, for a number of years, head of the School of Humanities and was also elected a member of the Royal Irish Academy uh, in recent years as well, in recognition of the scholarship that he has produced uh, since the 1970s. Um, the first article, I think, was in 1976 in the Historical Journal on the Kildare Rebellion and the Henrician Reformation. But since then he has produced seven monographs, nine edited volumes, I hope this is right, and a multitude of articles and chapters in uh, journals and book collections. Um, Our speakers today, I think, are very well aware, as everybody else is, of the distinguished legacy that uh, Steve leaves to uh, the history of Tudor Ireland and uh, the Tudor, uh, Tudor history in general. Um, they are all connected with Steve in one or other way. We have uh, Kieran Hoare here, who is a special uh, expert archivist at NUIG in special collections and a postgraduate student of Steve's. Thank you. Um, I suppose I should begin by saying it is a real uh, privilege, but uh, I suppose I owe a kind of a personal and a, an intellectual debt to, to Stephen down through the years. So it's, it's a real pleasure and an honour to be, to be uh, um, asked to give this talk today. So uh, the Council of Ireland, writing in 1538 to Cromwell, reporting on the attitude of the citizens of Limerick towards Edmund Sexton, stated that they, on the other side, bear from displeasure and, as they say, they much abhor him because he is an Irishman of blood and, as they say, he uses himself according to his nature. Howbeit he is made denizen and free by the king, so as he had been charter here, contrary to the English statutes and their liberties. They also say that he, his brethren, kinsmen and adherents, been mere Geraldines, and that part of his brethren were slain at the defence of the cattle of Minute, so that in respect of his Irish blood, 
and corrupt affection to traitors. They uh, say they do not trust him. The town authorities would have pointed to to their uh, 1423 Royal Charter, uh, which stated, No one who is an Irishman by blood and nation shall be mayor or exercise any office within our said city, nor shall any uh, anyone within the aforesaid city take or maintain any child of Irish blood and nation, that, as is aforesaid, as an apprentice, under penalty of forfeiting his franchise to the aforesaid city. Here then, surely, is an example of a town said to be, uh, again from the Irish Council, uh, said to be in the midst, as it were, of the king's rebels and enemies, uh, turning against a townman of Irish blood. Uh, during his questioning in London in 1540, Lord Grey referred to Sexton as a false knave. How are we to reconcile this view of, of Edmund Sexton uh, with, the char- with his characterisation in a letter from Henry VIII to the citizens of Limerick, uh, describing him as a trusty and well-beloved servant? Uh, then there is the matter of his disinternment from the family vault in St Mary's Cathedral in 1554 following his death, details of which were recounted by his grandson Edmund Perry Sexton in the 17th century. Uh, and again, this is a quote from, from, from that. Edmund Sexton, my grandfather after his burial, Primo <coughs> Mary, was taken out of his tomb at night by Christopher Crea, alder, alderman, Peter White, my grandfather's brother, and David White, the organist, and his right arm cut off at the elbow and left in the tomb, and the rest of his body hanged by the heels over the ceiling of the chancel, where it continued some three years until my grandmother, Catherine Arthur, was buried. Um, and it goes on to say how he was buried at night. Uh, he'd been discovered by someone who was hiding in, in a thief who was hide, hiding in the, uh, over the ceiling. Uh, and uh, he ends by saying, this was done for his religion. He embraced upon the Reformation. Um, indeed, the career of Edmund Sexton has been the subject of much historical research from the 19th century onwards. Historians such as Morris Lanahan, John Begley, Colm Lennon, Brian Hopkinson, Matthew Potter and Claude Tate have all written about him. He was quick to write about his own exploits to Thomas Cromwell, as well as a book on the Reformation of Ireland, which has not survived. His career was a colourful one. Born in 1486, he comes to note as first as a servant of the Kildare family, um, given that the Geraldines held lands and crewmen and Adair, this adherence uh, would not be so unusual for a Limerick family. He would appear to have been in the service of the Earls of Kildare as early as 1525 or 1526 and is noted as being amongst the entourage of the Countess of Desmond when she arrived in London in 1533. <coughs> By Garrett Oakes' date, uh, he was owed £55 uh, and was being paid at a rate of £8 per annum. Uh, He was being investigated early in 1533 uh, for operating as a merchant in Limerick, seeking to to import gunpowder from Flanders. Um, He would have also bought a house from his cousin George in the city in 1533, as well as acting as George's attorney. With the er death of the Earl of Kildare, uh, his fortunes changed. While other servants of the Countess... Uh, who included Robert uh, Rayleigh, who Edmund had come to London with, uh, Edward Rooks, a naval captain, and Humphrey Sexton, who was Edmund's older brother. Uh, They all returned to Silk and Thomas in Ireland. Edmund chose to stay in London. 
his other two brothers, uh, Nicholas and Murta de Hunt, were said to have died defending Manute during the Kildare Rebellion. He appears to have come under the patronage of Thomas Cromwell, who utilised him along with uh, Thomas Agard and William Wise as part of a network connecting Cromwell with, with the localities in Ireland. He seems to have been a, a trusted connection uh, between uh, the, the lordships around Limerick and the royal administration. And when Sir Leonard Grey came to Limerick in 1536, it was the, uh, the mayor, none other than Edmund Sexton, who came to his aid in the destruction of O'Brien's Bridge and other actions such as the taking of Dungarvan Castle in Waterford and Knockgaffin Castle in County Tipperary. Uh, in early 1536, Sexton stayed in London for around six months and seems to have been retained as mayor for the following mayoral year, and mayoral years usually were from August to August. Through 1537 and 1538, Sexton appears to have continued in his role as intermediary between the royal administration and the lordships of Desmond and Tomond, retaining the castle of derry to the immediate southwest of the city on behalf of the crown and supporting Lord Leonard Grey in actions around Limerick. However, by 1538, relations between Sexton and the citizens of Limerick seem to have soured over allegations levelled by Sexton against certain citizens who were quick to make counter-allegations against Sexton himself. Briefly imprisoned in Dublin Castle only to be released by Leonard Grey, uh, Sexton was to later attack Grey, uh, another cause of ten- contention uh, with the corporation may have been the grant to Sexton of lands uh, within the city which had belonged to the Priory of St Mary, St Edward King and Martyr and the Holy Cross which was a house of the Crushed Friars. Um, possessions which the corporation may have felt would have been more correctly granted to them. Having survived the fall of Cromwell and Grey, it appears that Sexton returned to Limerick from London sometime in the early 1540s and seems to have aligned himself with the Earl of Ormond. He certainly uh, had fallen out with the Earls of Desmond at this time, and in 1546 he is again in London before the Privy Council, bringing a suit against Desmond, uh, mentioned in a second suit against St. Ledger, uh, interestingly along with the Earl of Ormond, Walter Cowley and John Allen. Little is known of his life uh, in the 1550s, but it can be assumed that he kept a low profile with the appointment of St. Ledger and the Marian Restoration. So that's, that's just his career very briefly. As regards his Irish blood, we do not know when the Sexton or Ossesnanes became established in Limerick. The Ossesnanes family would have been one of the learned sets of Tormund, um, we know that he was the grandson of Dennis Sexton and that his parents were Morris Sexton and Christian Nagel. He had three brothers, as mentioned earlier, and five sisters, and we know of two cousins, Robert and George. Uh, in the grant of 16th of August 1534, which granted uh, Edmund Sexton, alias Sesnan, sewer of the chamber, Humphrey, Nicholas, George and Robert Sexton, alias Sesnan, all merchants of Limerick, making them and their posterity capable of bearing offices of mayors, sheriffs, bailiffs, constables, etc. in any part of Ireland, especially in Limerick. As noted earlier, Edmund had purchased a house from George and, uh, as was noted in the grant, all, all these sextons were merchants of Limerick uh, and we have Edmund importing gunpowder from Flanders in, 15, in May 1533. All of this would suggest that while they were resident in the city, the family were not eligible to be office holders in the town until the grant of 1534. Um, 
This suggests that the family were well established in the town of Limerick for at least three generations before the 1530s. Nor was it unusual for an ethnic Gaelic family to be in such a position in Irish towns in the early 16th century. While within Limerick itself, the Crea family were well aware of their Gaelic origins and celebrated their association with the O'Neill family. In Galway, uh, you had the Kerwin and Darcy families. In the town of Cork, the Rowan family counted themselves as Gaelic, while a number of other families considered themselves of Danish or Ostman origin. Uh, This assimilation occurred in spite of prohibitions passed in Parliament and within town councils themselves. It is probable that these families would have retained trading contracts uh, within their original uh, holdings in, in the hinterland. It could be argued, for example, that Edmund Sexton travelled with ease through Thomond. Writing on the 14th of October 1535, Conor O'Brien, Prince of Thomond, stated to the King that he had received his letters from Edmund Sexton, now Mayor of Limerick. <coughs> he speaks of being advised by Sexton, Dr Neelance, Thomas Young and John Arthur Fitznicholas, Aldermen of Limerick. On 18th of July 1537, Gray wrote to Henry VIII, commending Edmund Sexton for his good service he has done and the journey to O'Brien's Bridge and in practising with O'Brien and James of Desmond. Sexton's ability to raise forces, conduct military action, uh, military actions, hold castles and support Gray, particularly in his progress through Thomond, all speak of an ability to operate easily uh, within that lordship. Uh, this was not without its dangers, however, Uh, His support for Conor O'Brien against a rival claimant, uh, Morrow O'Brien, who held lands around O'Brien's bridge, was to land him in trouble with Ormond and others, uh, as Ormond and others moved against Grey. It was also the reason for his split with Bartholomew Stritch, uh, Stephen Harold and others who were citizens of Limerick, uh, who he he accused of siding with with Morrow O'Brien. Indeed, when Sexton himself was writing on the Reformation of Ireland in the first half of 1536 in London, he wrote of the island of Inishgattery, the merchants of Limerick where the merchants of Limerick dwelt and had castles and storehouses of their own inheritance, that there was an image of St. Senan in the island which was regarded with the utmost devotion by the people. He ends with the recommendation that a future church be built on the island. All of this speaks to an ability to operate within Gaelic and Gaelicised areas with ease and that this was an asset at the time of the Geraldine League um, and in the recriminations which followed the fall of his patron uh, Cromwell, it could also have been a danger to him. Of more importance for Sexton, I would argue, and the rest of his family was their ability to operate in service, whether it be in the commercial houses of Ireland or royal service. We have already seen the evidence of Edmund and Humphrey's service in the Earl and Countess of Kildare, and it is notable that all four Sexton brothers were in Kildare's service. Um, by staying in London and going into royal service in May 1534, Edmund moved up the levels of patronage quickly, getting in a, into the position as server at the King's table within a few months. Moreover, he had received a grant to serve uh, the office in Limerick uh, for himself and his brothers and had come under the patronage of Thomas Cromwell. Soon it was his role as messenger and his ability to operate as an intermediary um, uh, between uh, the Crown and the Lords of the Hinterland of Limerick that propelled him into the senior role. 
Um, and by the 16th of January 1535, Edmund Sexton was receiving a commission to parley and speak with lords, knights and others of the king's subjects in Ireland, English and Irish, and to offer them wages and rewards. He also appears to have kept contact with Cromwell, reporting on Gray's full noble exploits on the 10th of August 1536, and he goes on to write to, to Cromwell, desiring your good lordship to be so good lord unto me, and to have in remembrance my suits, which your lordship was so good unto me at my departure to promise that they would be done speedily. Interestingly, in the disbursements for that year, it is noted that Edmund Sexton and Robert Cowley received a reward of £26.14 and six for their last departing, departing back to Ireland. It is interesting to think that it was on this journey, uh, along with other activities, that seems to have Sexton and the Crowleys and the Ormond faction uh, linked together. Uh, and this was to point to the later patronage <coughs> network, which uh, Sexton would engage after the fall of Cromwell and Gray. The suits referred to in the letter of the 10th of August 1536 appear to have been relating to his request for church lands within the bounds of Limerick. Uh, he made much to Cromwell of disbursements he spent in royal service in Limerick, uh, an assertion later challenged by the corporation. By his own account, he was present at the taking of a number of castles. He captured Donal O'Brien's galley, caused a number of preys taken from citizens to be returned to them, and managed to slay a number of notable rebels who threatened the city. Uh, Edmund's relationship with, with the city of Limerick was fraught with difficulties, as, as noted earlier. Uh, recently, Henry Lee has argued in an English setting that Henry VII moved to create closed corporations where he sought to have a small number of people in control of municipal government and, of course, be responsible for payments in the running of the town. A similar drive can be discerned uh, with his son in the 1520s and 1530s in Ireland. One such example was Sir William Wise, who had served similarly as a server in the King's Chamber. By 1533-34, uh, William was mayor of his native Waterford and was instrumental in keeping the town loyal during the Kildare Rebellion. He was later to serve as sheriff of County Waterford, conducting successful negotiations with Desmond and described in 1539 by the, the Irish Council as a sad, wise, discreet gentleman. Thomas Martin in Galway would have been seen in a similar role, challenging the traditional families of the town for fishing, milling and property rights and serving as a royal official when required. In Edmund Sexton's case, he probably had the support of the Arthur family and in particular John Fitznicholas Arthur and was, uh, uh, he may well have uh, been as a result of his marriage with Catherine Arthur and this link was one which was long established families in the cities uh, would have been a good move. He would also appear to have had a good relationship with the young family. Other families he would have had a, had a less harmonious relationship with him. Several members of the Harold and Stritch families, along with a Robert Lewis, were accused of aiding Murta O'Brien. Um, and in a later account of the misdeeds of Leonard Gray, penned by William Brabison, Gerald Almer and John Allen, and recently described by Gerald Power in the Journal of the Galway Archaeological Historical Society, it was stated that James Harold and Bartholomew Stritch impeached for feigned treason and so were committed to jail there. And this action was very much placed uh, at the instigation of, of Edmund Sexton. Uh, it is no surprise then in 1540 that Bartholomew Stritch, as noted earlier, is accusing Sexton on conspiring with a friar. 
Uh, this was probably the Hound Kia, who was noted in Grey's entourage as it progressed through Thomond. It is noted that he made rhymes against the king, calling him an honorary Garak, uh, which is a pun on Ericuk, or heretic, so uh, he, he wasn't uh, 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 helping, helping his case. But it would be wrong to think of the Sexton family as being ostracised from the corporation and the activities of the town at this time. The Arthur manuscripts, in the Arthur manuscripts, there is an inquisition taken before Gerald Almer on the 8th of March 1542, inquiring in particular into church property and the depredations of the lords in the hinterland of Limerick. The jury is clearly drawn from the corporation with representatives of the White, Young, Fanning, Crea, Harold and Stritch, uh, Stritch and Arthur families, amongst others. They are quick to point out where the previous commissioners, the Archbishop of Cashel and Walter Cowley in 1539, took silver objects and precious stones. They also note that David Mitchell, a merchant of Limerick, passed on a chalice of silver from the Greyfriars to Humphrey Sexton, uh, that he'd also received a set of uh, glasses from Stephen Crea, uh, and had, uh, belonged to the, which had belonged to the monastery, and Leonard Crea had delivered the silver chalice to Humphrey. George Sexton had a set of vestments of shamlet uh, with a cross of velvet thereon. Certainly the wider family seemed to have been fully integrated into Limerick society, Humphrey holding the role of gauger and searcher in the city, as well as being a a servant of the Earl of Ormond. Indeed, Edmund's last big big uh, invention of himself uh, uh, was in service uh, with the Earls of Ormond. His association with Robert Cowley in 1536 was further cemented in 1539 when Walter Cowley, as noted earlier, was one of the commissioners who, amongst other things, investigated the accusations made against Sexton by members of Limerick Corporation. Sexton's subsequent turning uh, on Lord Grey in London and return to Limerick, his falling out with the Earls of Desmond and his move towards Protestantism all occur within this milieu of Ormond's support. Uh, it is no surprise to find Sir William Wise receiving wages of £10 per annum as Constable of Limerick Castle in 1542, and he is appointed guardian of Nicholas, Edmund's youngest son, uh, sorry, eldest son, at the time of his death in 1554. Uh, Edmund also appears to have served as gauger of the town sometime in the 1550s. Uh, however, an attempt by the Lord Deputy Sir Edmund Bellingham to have Sexton appointed by the Corporation as Mayor in 1549 uh, was refused when William Stritch uh, took the post instead. This may point to the continuing enmity between the, the Stritch and uh, Sexton families, but uh, it may also point to a merchant oligarchy of Limerick asserting their independence from royal government. In conclusion, we can say that royal blood was a marker of identity, but not an impediment to advancement. Despite the statutes of Kilkenny, the passing of municipal statutes in towns such as Limerick, Waterford, Dublin and elsewhere, and in many grants of English law to Irishmen and their heirs in a number of roles, the application of those statutes was selective. Just as Sparky Booker has found in Dublin, Irishmen can be found in a range of positions in towns in the later 15th and early 16th centuries, uh, be that in the church, as members of the various crafts and guilds, or simply as citizens of the towns. Uh, while much has been made of the term Irish town in towns like Limerick and Kilkenny, um, and you would have also had external suburbs such as Oxmanstown in Dublin and Lafayette in, in Cork, uh, people of Irish blood were simply ubiquitous in Irish towns. 
What was much more important, uh, I would argue, is the role of social networks. Family and marriage formed one network. Town councillors and religious fraternities, augmented by legal and commercial dealings, formed another network. Service, either to comital houses or within the royal administration, formed another important network for the flow of patronage. What we can see in the case of the Sexton family, and Edmund Sexton in particular, is the use of these social uh, networks and the flow of patronage for advancement, the continuing role of what Peter Crooks has termed factionalism within local politics, and the role of competing uh, networks in shaping reaction at local level to the introduction of Henrician reform in Ireland. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Tudor and Stuart Ireland conference podcast. If you would like to access the archive of more than 140 podcasts from previous Tudor and Stuart Ireland conferences, please go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts. All podcasts are freely available on iTunes and on SoundCloud. For more information on the annual Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference, visit the conference website at tudorstuartireland.com.